This episode of Let's Talk Drones, the podcast is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Drone Association. Look, if you fly drones in Pennsylvania or anywhere else in the Mid-Atlantic region, being a member of the PA Drone Association can open the door for business connections and opportunities that you don't get anywhere else. Plus, you'll have access to the latest news and trends of the drone industry to help you stay ahead of the curve. Businesses that rely on or deploy UAS solutions can also benefit from advertising and exposure opportunities on the PA Drone Association's website, social media platforms, and at their many events held in the state of Pennsylvania. Become a member of the PA Drone Association today by visiting padrone.org. What's up? It's Chris, the Drone Geek, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Drones, the podcast. On today's episode, I have a longtime friend, and this one has been a long time in waiting. I have wanted her on the podcast for so long because she's one of my oldest drone friends, and today is finally the day. Amanda from Above AZ is here with us today. Amanda, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what type of drone you fly, and what type of flying you enjoy most. Hey, what's up? Um, so let's see. I've always been a creative visual person. And in college, I was blessed to have a really cool job working at the photography museum. So, oh my gosh. That's a, a little technical difficulty that never hurt anybody. <laughs> hey, Adele, Josh is trying to call me right now. Do you mind calling him? <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, That's I, I have okay. a new roommate moving in today and he hasn't shown up yet. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's actually, I think that's the first time in Let's Talk Drones history that somebody's received a phone call while, while we were recording. So no, I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, so you're getting a new roommate. Yeah, yeah. My friend from college is moving in. So that's exciting. Okay, so uh, no. let me let me put that off. No, go ahead. We're we're just gonna keep rolling. So you go ahead and just uh, pick up where you left off. Cut that. Okay. So, um, I've always been a creative visual person. I was a little artist as a kid. I went to architecture school, and then during school, I got a job at a photography museum, and I loved it. I loved Photoshop and editing and just like manipulating things. And then I got another internship with a construction company that used drones. And I just thought like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I think this is like great for like the architecture and construction industry. It's also just like so creative. And I was kind of at a point where I was like, okay, well, I can always take photos on my cell phone and edit them, but I, I need a drone. So instead of buying a camera, I bought a drone. <laughs> um, and I just got addicted. I got so hooked and I loved it. And that's when I, sorry, that's, that's when it. I dropped Bub AZ. Uh, I mean, that's when I started like kind of like branding myself as Bub AZ and doing the business stuff. And I really just loved doing like photography for landscapes. But 2020 came and I lost my job. And one of the first things that happened to me after I lost my job is that I got invited to, well, I got asked to volunteer on this live stream concert series. And we were going to different locations in Arizona and filming these concerts for people to like watch at home during the pandemic. 
And that's kind of like what got me into video. And from there, I was like still unemployed. So then I started taking on more and more freelance work. So, sort of supported myself with my business as I was like putting my business together. And I did that for several months until actually one of my clients in architect in town ended up hiring me. So things went full circle. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that is quite the journey that you've been on. And I, I've sort of uh, had the privilege of being able to watch you go on it because it's been very interesting and you've sort of kept me up to date on uh, everything that, you know, you've been through as a drone pilot. Now, the one thing you didn't mention and something I like to have everybody sort of reveal is what type of a drone do you, fl- what was your first drone and what type of a drone do you fly? Okay, so I started off with the DJI Spark when I was in college, and um, I loved it because it was so portable. However, the battery time and the image quality wasn't that great because it only shot in JPEG. So after I decided I was going to try doing a business, I got the Mavic Pro 2. Okay. And that was shortly after becoming like. I would say that going from the Spark to the the two Pro is is probably the good call if you were going to do something professional. The Spark was a really good drone, to get me wrong, but uh, the the Mavic Two Pro is just like the it's the Swiss Army knife of prosumer drones. I mean, you can use it for just about any application. There are some things that's a little weaker at than other drones, but overall, that was that was a great call. Oh, definitely. And at that moment in time. The Phantoms were still pretty relevant, but I just knew from owning the Spark that having something portable would be much more valuable. So yeah. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, and that's, that's actually a conversation that I have with a lot of people in the industry is that portability factor. Now, if you're doing something industrial, like you're doing inspections on wind turbines or power lines or whatever the case may be, portability isn't necessarily at the top of your list because usually you have like a work vehicle that you can take a, a larger drone in. Uh, but for those of us that are content creators as well as professional aerial photographers and videographers, you know, portability does come into play, especially when we take it on trips with us where we have to maybe fly somewhere and our, our baggage space or our, our um, luggage is at, a, at a, you know, an all-time high. The, the premium is at an all-time high. You really want to make sure you optimize that space in your bag. So those portable drones make it so much easier, like the folding design, like the Mavics. But it, it, I did find what you said interesting, and maybe I'm reading a little too much into it, about the Phantoms still being relevant. Do you think, are you in the camp of the Phantoms aren't a relevant drone anymore? And if so, why? Yeah, um, I don't, I don't think they are that relevant. And I would be surprised if another version of the Phantom came out. I just think that the Mavic kind of outdid it. I mean, I can, I can get someone I can get set up so quickly, which is really important on jobs, because usually some employee or some team member has to stop what they're doing to bring me onto the site and like, let me do my thing. So the faster I can just like get set up and go, the easier it is for the whole project, whether that is a production video thing, or if it is an architecture and construction thing. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Now, I'm not saying that because I want it to be that way. I actually really like the Phantom drones. It's the one that I started out with was the Phantom 3 and the DJI line anyway. Um, 
so I really do like the drone, but the more that I see DJI shifting its product lines, for instance, one big clue for me that I'm, I'm sort of latching onto and I'm ready to die on this hill is they've dropped the Mavic moniker from both the air drone and the mini drone. So in my opinion, I, I think that you're right. They may be doing away with the Phantom and even the Inspire drones in favor of making the Mavic sort of their big prosumer, you know, cinematic, high quality footage option. And then having the air is maybe the step down from that, just a bear, like a half or quarter step down. And then the mini is sort of that entry level drone. But I, if anything, what I really think is I, I think that we could see them take the Phantom drone and combine it with the Inspire drone somehow. I don't know how they would do that, uh, what direction they would go with it, but I think that they would probably take the Phantom drone and somehow mesh it into the Inspire series. Uh, that, that's just my thought. And the only reason I say that is because the Phantom drone is sort of like their flagship design. That's what got them popular. That's what made them popular. And when people think drones a lot of, now, maybe not so much anymore since the Mavic is so popular, but I, I tend to believe that people think of that classic phantom model when you say the word drone to them. Uh, that's oh, that's yeah. just my you belief. Google drone or CSI says no drone zone. It's it's the phantom silhouette. Yeah. Um, and about the Inspire is really interesting because I do have two mentors in Arizona who've been flying drones years. Like I think one of them has had his business for like nine years now. And they have the heavy lifts and the Inspires and all the lenses. And they also own the Mavic Pro too. And they're like, you know what? Like you can just do so much with this little thing. And like before that existed, there just like was nothing in the industry like that. It's a, it's a good camera. I mean, you can't change lenses, but it's a pretty solid camera and the setup time is really fast. And that's the strength of the Mavic is I think it's a really good do-it-all drone. Uh, that one-inch sensor on the Mavic 2 Pro, for instance, allows you to get some really great shots with it. I mean, you're, you're talking almost cinema-grade footage and professional-grade photos at 20 megapixels. It just puts out a really impressive product. But right, I mean, you've got that product coming out of the drone. But at the same time, I mean, it, it folds up and fits in your backpack. So it, yeah, I, I, everything you're saying, I, I'm on the same page with you for sure. I guess the, the only thing I would say is I, I think that doing away with the Phantom and the Inspire, I, I don't know if they'll do away with it totally, but I definitely see them downsizing and perhaps even uh, combining those two drones to just have one large stationary. Uh, because the other reason that I say that too is the Matrice seems to be getting new models. They just continue to put new models of the Matrice out, which is their industrial grade drone, which could also be swapped in for the Inspire. Uh, it still has great camera attachments that you could use for a cinematic production. Uh, so the, the Matrice seems to be the direction they're heading with their larger drones. And the Mavic seems to be the, the style that they're adopting for their prosumer drones for sure. I think so. I mean, everyone I know who uses Matrice either does mapping or agriculture. And then the Inspire, I think, more cinema. But uh, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> I hate gossiping about technology. It's like, like <laughs> some of it is speculation. There's so many people on the internet just thinking, maybe this will happen. Maybe that will come out. Like, we don't know. Like, let's just wait and see and let's analyze the product when the product is here. 
I, I totally agree with you. The most frustrating thing is to speculate on technology, let alone DJI. They seem to be some of the worst offenders when it comes to uh, leaking information and then switching their game plan up. And you don't really know what's coming out of them next. But I know we won't gossip anymore after this because we've got a lot more important stuff to talk about. But the, the rumors that I've heard is that we could be seeing a Mavic 3 in September, I believe. So the end of September is when they're saying, I tend to think that is a possibility just because of the release of, well, drones like the Autel Evo 2, uh, you know, continuing to grow in popularity. And then you've got Parrot, who is releasing the Anafi uh, AI, which I don't know if you've seen that, but that seems to be like mm -hmm. it's going to be a powerhouse drone. And the one characteristic on that that I'm really sort of excited to see how well it works is the 5G connectivity. So if you're not familiar with that, basically what that means is if you fly the Parrot AI, as long as you are within range of a 5G cell tower, you can't lose connection with your drone. So it, it bounces the signal off the tower and then back to your remote controller. So it sort of works like a cell phone signal that way. And that means you can just go. There's no more worries about, you know, five mile range or whatever like that. As long as the drone can communicate with the tower and the tower can communicate with your controller, you've got a link to your drone, which is absolutely phenomenal. That's cool. I'm really excited to see like where the technology progresses. Yeah, I, I agree. But anyway, yeah, we have a, a lot more important stuff to talk about. We talked, we discussed some topics that we wanted to cover today, because like I said, this has been in the works for what seems like, well, the idea for a podcast came up in mid 2020 for me. Uh, and then we sort of launched it in 2021. And you and I just never seemed to be able to get on the same page. But this month was the month August was the month for us to sort of get together. Uh, but we talked about your background, your experience, you've had quite the journey so far in your drone career. And I guess what I really want to start with is information and tips that you can share with people out there that might just be breaking into the market that entry level drone pilot that's trying to get their feet wet and learn about how to use this technology to its fullest. What are some tips and tricks that you might share with a beginner that wants to get started flying drones? Oh yeah. So, um, so is this disturbing? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all right. That, that's your dog though. Before we move into that one more like meaningless topic, not that your dog's meaningless, but okay, one more. Yeah, no, he like, he growls and throws his toys. And I just don't know how loud it is. He's just no. like playing. No, no, you're um, fine. You're fine. We're real loose here on Let's Talk Drone. So can you, can you pull your dog up into the camera view? I kind of want to see him. <laughs> yeah, let me grab it. Come here, buddy. Oh, he's playing tag. Hang on. <laughs> buddy, come here. Sit. <laughs> so it's like, it's that time of day when everyone is coming home from work and he's so hyper. He's um, all jazzed up. I love it. That's great. Oh my gosh. So yes, everybody who knows me knows I have my, my co-pilot. Come on, buddy. And he shows up in my Instagram stories and goes out with me. Um, you know, Ant's drone, he lives in Arizona. So when Ant and I go out and shoot films, my dog's usually with us too. So um, <laughs> if, he, if he hops on my lap, I'll, I'll get him in the frame. Please do. Yeah, you don't have to force him up there. But if he gets into on your lap, definitely pick him up so we can all see him because he's oh, adorable. He, he just said, let me. Oh, I got him. I got him. Oh, Here we go. hey, buddy. That's your little co-pilot. Now, what's his name? Philo. Philo. I love that. And I, 
I remember that. I just wanted to make sure everybody else knew, but Philo, and we have a friend, the drone princess, who's got Mr. Banks and Philo and Mr. Banks are like doppelgangers. Yes. They, <laughs> we both have Yorkies with like the same face and the same like giant ears. That's actually, um, that's actually how Emily and I like came to know each other is I posted my dog one day and she's like, wow, there's another female drone pilot with a dog that looks just like mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. That's, that is sort of my dream too, is I'd love to have a dog companion that I could take with me on my, my shoots because I take Katie with me sometimes, but like, no offense, but a dog would be way more fun. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I do sort of, I, I want a dog and I'm a dog lover. So the fact that you and Emily get to like go on these drone excursions and then your dog will come with you. It's like, oh God, I want that. That's that's the perfect life. <laughs> you know, every time I buy a new lens or a new lighting thing with the cameras, I always have to test it out with him. Oh, he would be my main subject all the time. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Yeah, he's always with me. He's always down. And that's the best kind of co-pilot is somebody that's always down. So I'm jealous. I sincerely am. But uh, before we get too far off track again, we were talking about tips for beginners. So let's let's jump into that because I think you have some really useful insight for people, especially ones that are trying to get into the market because you and I both know how difficult that can be. And uh, we've probably picked up some knowledge along the way that might make it help or easier for people just starting. Oh, definitely. So... I think the biggest thing is you need to think about like what you want. Cause I know some people, they say they want a business and it's like, then they don't actually want to work outside of the day job or, you know, they want to do artsy stuff, but they're going after like technical jobs. So I would say really think about what you want and where you want to go with it. And you know, on top of the drone being a source of work or a source of like, and if it's fun for you and that's all you want to do, that's great too. But just think about what you want because it is expensive technology and it does take some time to learn. So you need to be like on board and willing to do that. Um, I would say the biggest thing for me is I was about to go on this road trip a while ago, like a year and a half ago. And I set this goal that I would sit down once a week and watch YouTube videos about like either drones or photography or editing, just like, you know, one to three videos on a subject once a week. And giving myself that commitment to growth has taught me like, you do that for a couple of weeks and you will learn so much. And I still do that today. Like it is like my Sunday afternoon, like study time, figure something out. So I think like having a commitment to growth and to stay in the loop with technology is very important. Oh, absolutely. So really long. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's great advice. And technology and especially the drone industry is just changing and evolving so rapidly because it's such new technology. I mean, it, at this point, it's starting to become a little bit more mainstream and has become a little bit older in terms of in the technology landscape. But overall, I mean, if you think about it, drone technology as we know it now has really only been, I'm talking about like prosumer ready to fly drones like the Mavics, the Phantoms, et cetera. Uh, that's only really been around for maybe six years, six or maybe going on seven years. I don't know the exact year that that all 
started, but it's not been long at all in terms of technology. Uh, so it, the more and more that that advances, the more important it is going to be that people sit down like you do and take time to actually study what's going on within the industry and how they can keep their skills sharp and up to date. So that, that is fantastic advice. I couldn't have said it better myself, actually. And you know what? We've spoken about this. We both get a lot of amateurs DMing us wanting to know like, hey, what drone do I buy? Hey, how do I do this? Hey, teach me this, teach me that. And for me, if I see someone and they don't have the curiosity to look something up, especially something as basic as what drone should you buy, I know they're not going to make it mm -hmm. because they're just, they're just bouncing around people on the internet trying to get these like free mentors and coaches without you know, one, they're not building relationships. They're just like asking people for like free advice constantly. But two, like it shows that they're not, they don't have the drive to do it themselves. Yeah. So how are you going to have a business and do it yourself if you can't even look up the very first thing? Mm. Yeah. And the, the, the big thing that I get and the thing that I definitely agree on is the question of which drone should I buy? Because people think they look at and not to toot our own horns, uh, you know, at least not my own. I, I think that I'm a good drone professional. I think I have a lot of room for improvement. I think anybody does. There's always room to improve. But people will get on my profile and say, I love your work. What drone do you use? And I, I don't take that personally, but th they're discounting just how much time and energy and effort was spent on learning the techniques to take that photo or that video and make it look the way that it looks. It's not just something that comes right out of the camera. And so that question of what drone should I buy? It, it's, it, it is, I don't want to say lazy because I don't think that people can be defined just by that one question overall in their whole character. But from a, a getting into the industry standpoint, it is a lazy question because A, you should be researching this stuff yourself and understand what technology is state of the art, if that's what you're going for. And B, if you don't understand how to use that technology to its to the fullest, it's not going to matter if you have access to it, because it's not going to look the way you want it to look, or it's not going to look the way that is going to be appealing to the eye. You, you need to understand how that technology all plays together and empowers that tool, that drone that you have to give yeah. you the imagery that you want. So that's, that's the big thing. And so I totally agree I, with I, you on that question is like a trigger for both of us it is <laughs> when this happens and you know what like I've done multiple interviews and in my Instagram captions I try to talk about like my growth and my process so like I've said what drone I fly so many times on the internet and it's like you shouldn't need to ask me if you actually like follow me or talk to me you know I mean my friends who are not even photographers they went on my Instagram or my website. I don't know where, but they figured out exactly what kind of drone I flew so that they could give me a birthday gift for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, these people like don't even know anything about photography and they, and they figured it out. Yeah. So, oh, I have to tell you now that we're here, my friends bought me the loom cubes for my oh. drone. So now I can like legally fly at night. That's cool. And it is so cool because it's like you can adjust the angle. Uh, it's like these two little cubes that go on either side of the drone and you can like adjust the angle 
And I'm, I'm really excited about it. I thought that was such a sweet gift. Um, five of my friends got together and they all pitched in to buy it. So you have the ones that, because there's several different versions of the Loom Cubes that fit on the Mavics, because you and I fly the same Mavic. You got the ones that go on the arms, the two that attach on the, like the front or the back arms, correct? Yes. So there's brackets that go on the arms and then the cube goes on the bracket. That's cool. See, I have the uh, the smaller version. I've got the one that has the M3 Velcro that you paste on top of your drone. And then you just put the little light on there, but it just goes on top of the drone. There's nowhere else you can put it. But I, oh, I was really interested in those. So I'll be anxious to see how they work and hear from you how they work because those are cool. Yes, definitely. That's awesome. Now, it, have you, I mean, you got the Loom Cubes. So I'm assuming you haven't taken them and tested them out yet, have you? Um, I have tested them out, but I haven't posted anything on the internet using them yet. Okay, gotcha. That, and I think that just, it sort of was trying to lead into the next question is flying at night. I mean, that just recently became a thing where you don't have to file for a waiver anymore. You just need to make sure that you have the right lighting on your drone and you're following all the FAA standards that way. I mean, what do you think? Is that a game changer for us? Or do you think it's just sort of going to be a nice little uh, option that we have? Um, I think it's kind of a game changer, especially on client shoots when things don't go as scheduled. Cause I mean, I was on a shoot once and they were like, oh, well, we want you to fly right after sunset. And for me, it's not worth the liability of breaking the laws. So, you know, especially when other people are paying you and the media is going to be shown places like you need to have your ducks in a row and follow the laws. So for me, I'm really excited. And as soon as that became legal, I got the loom cubes, like it's perfect. So yeah. And that, and the, the one example that I have is because really I haven't flown at night. I haven't had the need to fly at night up until this past Christmas. Now I went out and got the waivers that I needed, which let me tell you was a very long, cumbersome and redundant process. That was awful. I had to apply for the waivers uh, because I knew that the job was coming up. They reached out to me well in advance in September. And I'm not kidding you when I say I got the waiver for the flight at the end of November. It, it took that long. Uh, so I'm glad that they did away with that process. But Lancaster every year has a Christmas light show at our local minor league baseball team stadium. Uh, so they just decorate the whole thing with Christmas lights and they put it to music. So the lights blink with the music. And then you drive your car through the baseball complex as the lights sort of flash around you. But they wanted some drone footage for that. And last year when I did that, I thought this isn't worth it. This is just too much work, too much what if. What if this waiver comes through and they deny me? Luckily, they didn't. Uh, now that we don't have to deal with that, I mean, I can accept those jobs more readily and go, yep, I'm going to do that. I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it'll happen too often, but it's just so much more convenient when it happens. I'm excited. Yeah, I also and, like I want to shoot like city skylines at night. So and with the Mavic 2 Pro that that one inch sensor allows us to get a little bit more light into the sensor. So at nighttime, when all you have as far as lighting goes for that landscape shot is the light coming off of the city or the object that you're shooting, being able to utilize that to its fullest extent uh, without making the image too noisy is is super crucial. So the Mavic 2 Pro is pretty strong in low light conditions, and I'll be excited to see what you come up with with that. 
Thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. So uh, before we move on to the next topic, these sort of roll nicely into each other. Do you have any other tips that a beginner should know or should maybe be aware of? That was a really strong one that you gave them right off the bat. In fact, you know, most people, if you just follow that guideline that you gave at the beginning are going to be just fine. But anything else you can think of you'd want to share? Um, well, I would definitely just also get into the photography side of it. My, my photos got a lot better once I bought a camera because with the drone, you have such limited flight time. And sometimes you're in like, you know, like I used to live in a no-fly zone. So I had to like drive somewhere every time I wanted to fly the drone. So by just like having a standard camera, I was able to practice, you know, exposure times, ISO, and even go a bit further into thinking in terms of different lenses. So I would definitely like not only think about, I know the drone is so fun and it feels like a video game, but like also like at the end of the day, it's a camera and it's a tool and you need to like learn the camera because the camera you can hold for hours. The drone is only up for 30 minutes. So definitely like learn the camera and you'll be so set with the drone. Absolutely. I did it backwards, in fact. And I'm so I'm a testament to what she's saying is <laughs> I jumped in and I was like, this is like a video game. This is fun. I had a lot of fun just flying the drone. And it, oh, yeah, it took like fall in love. Yeah. And, and then you, you fall in love with it. And you're like, okay, what can I make this thing do? And you realize that the drone is just the vehicle. And the camera is actually the tool that you're using to get things done. And so learning that in reverse made it a lot slower going for me in terms of being able to put out work that I can be proud of and say is professional grade work. So definitely, if you're just starting, learn about the camera more than the drone. The drone stuff will come because they have all sorts of safety features that can keep you from wrecking or making mistakes. But the camera part, if you don't know what you're doing with that, you know, you might as well be using a, a you know, a 12 megapixel phone camera. Yeah, it, you know, not that that's terrible, but it, you get what I'm saying. And that, that was actually my logic because I bought the drone before I bought the camera because I was like, well, I already have a phone camera. Um, and even going further out of order is I learned to edit and I learned to use Photoshop in architecture school. And then I learned photo stuff working at the photo museum. And then I was finally taking photos where most people start out taking photos and then learn how to edit and use those tools. Um, Oh no, I love it. I think all of these topics are related and you can just like do one and do the other and they all get better. And it's just like this, this big web that just expands into so many cool things. Um, and now I'm doing video, which is really cool. Yeah. And we talked about that. When I met you, you were almost strictly photo, if I recall correctly. And just yeah. in the past year or so, you've started to take up the, the mantle of doing some more video work. And some of the stuff that you've shot, I've seen is awesome. So you can, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. your uh, evolution from just photography into, uh, you know, also video as well. Yeah, I love that you said that because literally just last week I was watching a video that I made a year ago and I'm like looking at this and I'm like, seeing the camera shake, I'm seeing the drone fly too fast. I put like cheesy transitions on it. Oh my gosh, it's just a year. But um, basically when I started doing those live stream concerts, I had to focus on video and I couldn't just float, like fly the camera and fling it around. I had to like go cinematically and think about my flight path and like the reveal. So doing those live streams really helped me build up my video. Um, which was good because 
then I was able to start taking on little production gigs and stuff. Yeah, and I, I have a saying that I don't share too often on, on my YouTube channel, but it's just something that I say to uh, people that ask me questions about drone flying and then also clients too that are helping me to plan or are helping, I'm helping them to plan their video projects is flying a drone cinematically 80% of it is planning and understanding your flight paths, what your subjects are, what you're trying to capture. And then 20% of it is actually flying the drone and capturing the image. If you don't have your plan in set and understand what the goal of the video and the messaging behind the video is, you might as well not even flown the drone because you're not going to deliver the message the way it needs to be delivered. And you're not going to capture that footage in a way that's compelling. Yes. And you know, I love like that the newer consumer drones, like the low end starter drones are getting so much better. Mm -hmm. But my starter drone, I got like 10 minutes of flight time and it really forced me to just think in terms of like optimizing the flight paths. And mm -hmm. I think that made me all the better when I did upgrade. Absolutely. That it, you could not have said that better. You had to optimize your flight time because that scarcity, that only having 10 or 12 minutes, that means that when you get that thing in the air, you've got to know exactly what you're doing or else, you know, you're going to run out of battery. I think that we just lost her. She did. I think she just went out of signal. So what we're going to do now, this is the first time this has ever happened, is I'm going to cut this episode here. We're going to reconnect with Amanda, hopefully, and we're going to pick the episode up from there. So we'll be right back. This episode of Let's Talk Drones, the podcast is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Drone Association. Look, if you fly drones in Pennsylvania or anywhere else in the mid-Atlantic region, being a member of the PA Drone Association can open the door for business connections and opportunities that you don't get anywhere else. Plus, you'll have access to the latest news and trends of the drone industry to help you stay ahead of the curve. Businesses that rely on or deploy UAS solutions can also benefit benefit from advertising and exposure opportunities on the PA Drone Association's website, social media platforms, and at their many events held in the state of Pennsylvania. Become a member of the PA Drone Association today by visiting padrone.org. Uh, we did lose signal. We had a technical difficulty. Amanda's uh, form of communication died, so she had to relocate to a new room, but we're going to pick it right back up. We were talking a little bit about her evolution from a strictly aerial photographer uh, to somebody that does both aerial photography and video, as well as handheld photography and video too, and what that journey has been like for her. Um, in terms of... Uh, your YouTube channel. I know that we talked maybe it was late 2020, early 2021 about your YouTube channel. Uh, what are your plans for that? Are you going to do just like, is it going to be a, a portfolio for you or are you going to use it as sort of a, a vlog platform? What, what are you going to do with that? Um, well, when I was full-time freelancing, I was thinking I would kind of try to post and create regularly, but um now that I'm back to a full-time job and I have clients on the side I don't have as much time to create recreationally as I once did so I think my YouTube will be like you know once in a while fun footage but any client footage I can't really post on my own personal avenue um so yeah the YouTube has a few things I mean, yeah, like subscribe if you're interested in aerial video and you'll you'll maybe see something every few months or every few weeks, but I'm definitely not going to be a vlog and I'm not trying to monetize YouTube or anything. 90% um, of the time, I just pull up YouTube to show people my sizzle reel, which is okay. just like, you know, just to show people my abilities. 
Yeah, and that's a lot of aerial photographers and video people uh, use YouTube strictly for that. Uh, the, you know, you've got people like Ants, for instance, and myself who use it as more of a platform to talk about drone technology because we're sort of geeks that way. And hence the drone mm -hmm. geek monitor for me or moniker for me. Uh, but yeah, I, definitely if you like aerial footage and you want some sort of an idea of what direction you might want to go or what looks good in a shot, definitely check out Amanda's YouTube channel because I've seen her sizzle reel and it is really, really good. You could definitely take a few pointers, especially if you're starting out in video and you don't really know where to go. That sizzle reel will show you exactly what you can be with some hard work and some time put into flying that drone. But uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> credit, credit where credit is due for sure. I mean, you Thank just you. do yeah, it's, phenomenal it's work. It's been really helpful in terms of clients because they'll be like, oh, I like this move you did. And like, sometimes they don't can't describe what they want but being able to like point to a piece of the video really helps. One of my favorite moves that clients do when they're telling me about a video shot that they want with a drone is where they stand back and they almost sort of lean back like this and they just go, I want a shot that goes like this. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I mean, I could do that several different ways. Do you want me to go around it, like in an orbit? Or do you want me to go just strafe right past it? You know, how do you, how do you want me to do that? But they don't know the terms that I, you know, I can't expect them to know the terms for that stuff. But it is funny because it seems like no matter who I'm working with, what industry they're in, I always get that exact gesture when they're talking about something that they want. They lean back and they go like this. I want a shot covering all of this. <laughs> oh my God. I was I was on kind of like a last minute music video last weekend and so we didn't really have a shot list. So I'm there and I'm like, and I want to do this, and I want to put the camera down and go like this. <laughs> like we were like standing in the street and I'm like just like waving my arms and spinning my body. And like, I bet people were just like so walking sad. past and they were like, what is wrong with her? <laughs> yeah. And like I think the, the woman I was working for, I don't know if she understood what I was trying to do. She's just like, yeah, that sounds cool. Get it down. Go do that. We'll see how it looks. <laughs> and then I did it and she's like, oh yeah, this is good. That's that's the ultimate, now this is a little bit different situation, but I think you'll agree with me. The ultimate praise or ego stroke that you could receive is when you have a regular client, somebody you work with all the time that goes from trying to like micromanage the shots that you're taking and looking over your shoulder to see what you're doing, make sure everything looks the way they want it to, to all of a sudden after two or three shoots with them, they'll just cut you loose and they'll go, yeah, you know what you're doing. You know what I want. <laughs> That's like the ultimate confidence boost when somebody like that just lets you go and do your thing then. It definitely is. Yeah. Now, when it comes to, so there are a couple things I want to sort of, a couple layers here of that I want to peel back because you are, first of all, I want to jump into this part of it. In terms of networking, Amanda, you are one of the people that sort of helped me open up and come out of my shell a little bit because I came from a very small town in North Central Pennsylvania where there was only one 
of each business type in the area. So when competition comes in, somebody comes in and wants to do the same thing that you want to do, it's sort of a threat to your well-being. So the culture from where I'm from is very much you don't share secrets, you don't share information, you can network, but really it's a very guarded network. And then I moved to Lancaster and I sort of brought this attitude with me about doing business, but meeting you and meeting a couple other people, a photographer I work with here in Lancaster named Nick Gold, you've encouraged me both to sort of open up a little bit, let my guard down and network and just share with fellow creators. And that's the best thing that you could possibly do in our industry. Because like you said, a lot of your clients are just fellow photographers that need somebody to control the drone. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your strategy for networking. How, how do you approach business relationships? How do you develop them so nicely and as easily as you do? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, you're from my mother's hometown, which I just find so hilarious. Like, <laughs> I've walked those streets. I know what's up. <laughs> it, it was bizarre when um, we met on Instagram and we started talking about drone stuff and then that we sort of connected those dots. Not only did I grow up from the same in the same hometown that your mom grew up in, but I mean, I'm a stone's throw away from Harrisburg, which is where you spent some time as well. And so it was just sort of weird that you and I connected and it's just such a small world. That, that's really what it taught me. It is so wild. <laughs> yeah, I was in Harrisburg for an internship. And when I was in Harrisburg, I was working on detail. I was doing an architectural internship for projects in Lancaster. So <laughs> all, wow. it all comes around. <laughs> It really did. Um, I didn't even realize that you did projects in Lancaster. That's another thing that I'm just like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Car dealerships, you know. Oh, Anyhow, yeah. um, so I, I've always been really good at just like going to a coffee shop alone or talking to people on the street. You know, even when I was a little kid, like I just, I liked the animals. So if someone was walking a dog, I, I wanted to talk to them. <laughs> um, but I think I think what did it for me is I went to architecture school and in architecture school, we're all being creative, we're all being overworked and it is kind of a competitive environment. And what I realized is that like, if you're friendly with people, you can learn from them and you can help them. And so like, there was, you know, a lot of tension obviously, because some people were friendly. Some people were like, I'm going to help my bubble of friends and I'm not going to help other people. So I kind of just like had this attitude where I saw the graduating class ahead of me in architecture school where everyone was friends with each other and they were really good. And then I saw my graduating class where we were friends with each other, but we didn't help each other out as much. And I just realized that the quality of work was so much better from this group above me. And when I was a beginner, I was finding other people doing this. I They were like my heroes. I thought they were cool. And, you know, the people who talked back to me I was like yeah those those were like my first friends I made on the internet and you know as I got better I started you know people who weren't as good as me were looking up to me so it just kind of just went up I don't know <laughs> it, it, it's no it, and it doesn't I think the the big thing is 
people put a lot of emphasis on the the business strategy behind networking. And really, I mean, networking is just a business term for making friends. Mm -hmm. That's really what it comes down to. And I think that even though competition is definitely always present, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do. If you're in the same industry as somebody else, you are competing to a certain degree, but collaboration can help to overcome a lot of the negative attributes of competition. And I don't think we do enough of that anymore, especially not since realizing just how beneficial collaboration can be. Oh yeah, definitely. And I don't have to be the only one. I don't have to be the best one. You know, I just want to be in the game because I like it. <laughs> exactly. And I, I think that's admirable. And that's, that's really the, the way everybody should be. But there is a fine line. And I know you're going to be excited to sort of touch on this and talk about this. There's a fine line between collaborating and being inspired by somebody and stealing their work outright or copying their work almost verbatim and using it as your own. And this is a problem that is prevalent in our industry, I think more so than just about any other industry, because you're talking about creative works. I mean, not necessarily any other industry. You talk about music, you talk about things like that. There, there are other industries that are a one-to-one, -one, but in photography and video in particular, and anything that has to do with creating your own content, there's always this undying problem of people taking other people's work and presenting it as their own or plagiarizing something about it. You have a pretty interesting story regarding that exact scenario. I think we all do, but yours is sort of unique because it hits a little closer to home than I think most people. It's almost like out of a movie. I mean, it's, it's that weird, but would, do you care to share that with us? Yeah, okay, so like, I'm totally, I'm not old, but okay, it still makes me upset. Um, but yeah, so basically my my ex-boyfriend did end up kind of buying a drone and launching a website and launching a business and his website looks a lot like my website. And some of my photos, it almost like, it looks like he just like looked at my Instagram and like tried to like go to those same locations and duplicate it, which is just crazy. It, that is crazy. It's it is okay. it's super great. Now, what whatever happened? How did that ever play out any particular way? Did you confront him about that, or what? What did you do? Um, okay, so I was actually completely unaware that this was going on. Like we had we had been you know broken up for a year and a half. When I was with him, he didn't have a drone. He wasn't taking photos. I was like putting together my website and I was licensed, but I wasn't like going after work. Like I wasn't there yet. It was just like the seeds were being planted, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, so yeah, he ended up saying some mean things to me on Twitter one day. And um, which was weird because he didn't have a Twitter when we were together. So he, he found my Twitter and said some mean things to me. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like that came out of the blue. Like we weren't like fighting. We weren't in contact. It was just like, whatever. Like it was a pandemic. Like we, we broke up. Like to me, that's just, like so long ago. What, but, <laughs> if, if you don't mind my, if you don't want to share, that's fine. What did, what did he say to you? Um, I, I can't remember exactly 
it makes you want to now here here's the thing is for anybody listening or watching this on youtube listening to this on spotify or watching on youtube we're not going to name names and we're not going to get into particulars i would love to do i've seen both websites amanda's website and this guy's website and uh i can tell you that it is an absolute tear of the content i mean he took it and just ripped it off. I mean, it is almost word for word, exactly the same premise, exactly the same stuff. Uh, it's blatant is basically what I'm trying to say. So I would love to be able to show that, but showing that would allow people to be able to look it up. And while he might deserve people to sort of get on and trash him and spam him with uh, stuff, letting him know how slimy he is, uh, we're not going to do that. We're above that here, but it, it is pretty bad. But your, your story was just sort of unique because it's like you only see that kind of stuff in the movies. It, it's just so bizarre that somebody oh, yeah. went out of their way to do that to you. We're jumping around. Let me let me fill in some gaps. So okay, after sure. this happened, that's when I looked him up, and that's when I realized that he had me blocked on all social media. So um, luckily, I run my company's social media, so boom, I find him. And that's when I found that he had like duplicated my photos, kind of copied my website. He he had a LinkedIn and stuff. And because him and I went to college together, we had some mutual friends. So I asked a college friend and my college friend was like, yeah, it looks like he's doing a thing. It's kind of weird. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is like, my clients like me and they trust me and they're not gonna leave me. Mm -hmm. So he can't take that away. And if he wants to get his own clients and do that, he can do that and he can go build it up and it's going to take a lot of hard work. And I know exactly how much hard work it took. So, you know, I'm not even like worried um, to be completely honest. Sometimes I do like look him up again, just to that kind of blindsided me. I want to, I want to keep tabs just a little bit, but um, I just know how much work it took. So I'm, I'm not concerned. And that's, yeah, I, I mean, it's my, my examples aren't quite the same. I, uh, for some, somebody that still has that competitive, that thing that's been ingrained in me for years and years and years from where I came from. Uh, I still have that where I look at people and what they're doing. And I try to suppress this as much as possible because I think there's room for everybody six to succeed and find their place in the market, no matter how they find their way there. Um, but at the same time, I look at people that try to do what I'm doing or try to do what you're doing. And I look at a lot of half-hearted attempts and they may not even know that they're half-hearted, but they are. And I, I think about all of the hard work I put into to this point and all of the hard work that I have in front of me. And it just, it's reassuring to know that those people that are trying to imitate me but might be doing it for reasons other than just having fun and what they're doing and enjoying what they do for a career. It, it gives me peace of mind knowing they'll never really catch me as long as I continue to just focus on my hard work because they just don't have the same grind or the same energy to, to be able to handle the grind. But it's, it is unfortunate that somebody that was so close to you at one point uh, decided to go out of their way to not just get into competition with you or attempt to get into competition with you, but blatantly rip off your content on your website and your, your social media platforms. Yeah. I think it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning where like some people, they want to get into photography or drones because they see it's useful and they think it's like low hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, if they're not going to do the research themselves or build themselves up, they're, they're not going to make it. And, um, you know, who, who knows how long those type of people are going to try at this before they kind of give up and move on. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And one, I, I don't want to generalize. Uh, actually, it's hard for me to generalize. It's not even fair for me to generalize because the group I'm about to address, I work with now three groups of them that are like super well-to-do. But I found that professionals in the real estate industry tend to be those people that not necessarily everything they do in life, but when it relates to drone photography and multimedia, especially for marketing their listings and marketing themselves and their brand, they look at what we do, they go out and they buy a drone and they think, mm -hmm. okay, I'm just gonna take pictures with this drone. I'm not selling the pictures. They, they don't fully comprehend what it means to be a commercial drone pilot. So I, I've talked to some people in the real estate industry that just totally discredit what we do and they don't understand the hard work that goes into it. And it sort of, it upsets me, but at the same time, it sort of makes me laugh a little bit because it's one of those deals where it's like, you're never going to be able to sustain that, especially if something bad happens where somebody were to report you for doing it without a license. Now, I'm fortunate enough that my <laughs> business contacts that I have in real estate, uh, the one that I'm doing multimedia and marketing for, he's phenomenal and he knows the rules, he understands the rules, and he trusts me to play by the rules. Uh, the other team that I have, they just strictly use me for their aerial multimedia. And they understand that I know everything I need to know to make sure I do that in a kosher yeah. manner. And then the other team that I just started working with, they don't want to use me for their aerial multimedia. They went out and bought their own drone for their team to use. But what they are doing mm -hmm. and what I recommend drone pilots out there that are seeing this problem or seeing this situation pop up is they're hiring me to sit down and basically give them a seminar on how yeah. to take the part 107, how to fly your drone according to part 107 and do it the right way. Because my thought process is uh, that- yeah. They're consulting. Exactly, I'm consulting them before yeah. they go and take their part 107. My thought process is this, mm -hmm. if they're going to do it, you know, I might as well help them do it the right way. I would rather them do it the right way and not use me than do it the wrong way and not use mm -hmm. me. I love that, yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've seen a lot of like real estate agents try to do their own drone work. And some of them come around and realize that like, oh, it's actually harder than I thought it was. Wait, I need a professional or wait, I need to step up my game. That's definitely a thing. Um, and like I said, like when I started doing drone work, I wanted it for the architecture and construction industry. Well, a lot of large companies have drones in house. So I was trying to sell drone work to small companies and I did notice that a lot of people who told me no ended up buying their own cheap drones later on. Um, and on and this is this has been like the hardest business lesson for me. This is what my mentor taught me. He's like, those cheap clients, those people who don't value you, you don't want them as clients. So as cool as it might be to do real estate and film the fancy houses, or for me to do architecture. The money is in video and the money is in production and the people in video and production, they're professionals at creative work and they value you more. So it's tough. It's tough to see other people going over you when you've tried to market towards them, mm -hmm. but you need to just keep going and you'll find valuable clients.
You will, no matter what industry they work in, you will find people that value what you do and take you seriously as a professional and don't do right. Don't do business with the ones that don't. But um, and speaking of clients and interesting jobs and, and positions that you've taken with your drone, you've already touched on this a few times. I want to talk a little bit more about it. Tell me a little bit more about the live streams that you're doing, because I'm really intrigued by this. And I want to learn a little bit more about how you play a role in those live streams and what you do for them. Okay, so the project is called um, Creative Studios with no E at the end. And what we were doing last year during the lockdown is we were going to different remote locations. We're bringing like different local DJs or musical artists because there's a pretty big like EDM scene here in Arizona. And we would just do a concert. So we'd have several cameras on them. We'd have photographers shooting stills and occasionally it would cut to the drone footage. And then we would collect money during the live stream and we would donate it to different conservation causes. So it was like music and nature and photo video stuff. Um, and then the, the group started gaining traction. We started doing larger artists and we actually did, we went out to the Hollywood Hills and we did a live stream from the Hollywood Hills with Tidy. He was like one of the biggest DJs we worked with. And then we started getting paid streams. So we did a DJ from Chicago named John Summit he actually came out to Arizona and we filmed him. So those, those were so fun. And it introduced me to a lot of creatives. And during that time when like I was unemployed and everything was locked down, it was like, it was like the coolest thing in my life. I mean, it still is like one of the best things I've ever gotten to do for sure. That's, that's very so, cool. Um, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, uh, no, 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 go, go, you go ahead. I, I was just about to say, and I'm sitting here and like, I see the pa how passionate you are. And I already knew that you were passionate about this. I, I've known you for a long time now. And you remind me a lot of, in terms of the way that you handle your drone flying and everything that you do with your drones of Edgar Hurtado, who was not the last guest because technically I was the last guest on this podcast, but the one before the last episode, he was on here. Edgar is out of the Southern California area and he does uh, land surveying with his drone and he does all of this stuff with the Phantom 4 RTK but then when he's not doing it for his day job he actually flies FPV drones and he does a lot of creative projects with his FPV footage oh, wow. yes and he just has so much fun with it and I, that's that's what I really admire about you and Edgar is that you have you use drones in your career it's something you can make money off of whether it's side money or your main hustle whatever the case may be but then you do these projects that you may or may not be getting paid for but you just have a lot of fun with and bring a lot of joy to you and that that's just so cool oh thank you so much yes definitely and um now that when I went back to a day job it was kind of like okay well I built this business it's my baby I don't want to leave it especially because what if another 2020 happens and I'm unemployed for months on end so I went back to the day job, I kept the business, and then I was just like working all the time. And I kind of had to like reevaluate, like, what do I want with my work life balance and all that? And so when I was freelancing, I was also doing like websites and drafting and photo editing. So I kind of figured out like, okay, I like doing video, I like doing the music stuff, and I like doing architecture and construction. So I actually did have to like, I let go of doing websites and, like, and I let go of doing drafting and I found like a, a happy work-life balance for me. 
And that's, that's the most important thing I find when you have a good work-life balance, it's easier to become inspired creatively, which translates into your work then. Uh, so that, that's cool that you found that. And I, I find myself struggling with the same thing. Sometimes I work marketing all day for a software company in York and I love my job there. I love the people I work for. It, it's awesome, but it, it does become cumbersome and I'm burning both ends of the candle at this point between that job and then drone geek productions, which is the aerial multimedia I do. So striking that work-life balance is super important. Otherwise you're liable to burn out very, very quickly. Oh, definitely. And like, if it was my goal to quit my day job, then I think I would be addressing things differently, but, um, that's not my goal. So yeah. really my, my dream, I, yeah. Cause I guess that's, that's the difference. And then my goal and my dream technically is to, and what I've wanted to do for a few years now is become a Nat Geo Explorer. I would love to be able to be oh, wow. a, a, an explorer for Nat Geo. And not that I have <laughs> any science background, but I would try to learn. But my main thing is thinking like, okay, I could be the explorer that flies the drone. You know, I know they all have them, but I'd be the guy that flies it all the time. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's really what I'd like to do full time. So, but um, I love that, you know, even before I got into drones, there was this show on the discovery channel app called like aerial america yeah oh my god i love it every episode is a different state and it's just like it's drone and helicopter footage it's just so beautiful i would love to take that I model doing that <laughs> yeah that's that's I sort of what i that's what I sort of envisioned is I thought I'd love to take that model and combine it with the explorers on Nat Geo. Like they'll be in the field and they'll be like, Hey, look, you know, we're tracking this family of grizzly bears. And instead of cutting to like a handheld camera up on a ridge somewhere, I'd actually have a drone that's like flying towards like where the grizzly bears are going to be. Not that I necessarily want to get eaten by grizzly bears, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> get what I'm saying. But that's, it. that's my vision for that. So we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, what I'm gonna do is like, okay, like, I like the drone, because it's something you don't see with your eyes, because when you hold a camera, it's just like, exactly what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So to me, the drone is like, inspiring, because it's different. But like, I also want to get like a macro camera or like a wormhole camera. So I can have like the big scale and then like the little scale. That is a really good idea. I've seen those. <laughs> And actually that photographer I work with, Nick Gold here in Lancaster, he, I walked into a studio one time to drop off a memory card that had drone footage on it for him. And he was doing a, a macro shoot with one of those little macro lenses. And or is it, it's either micro or macro. Either way, he was shooting something very, very tiny. And I remember him saying, this is so neat because you see things that are just like ridiculously small, he said, but also it's the biggest pain in the ass I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> I just started cracking up because it's like, yeah, I could see that as if I was trying to line all of that up perfectly. Yeah. So I have, I have a client who actually like does a lot of stuff in hotels and he's like a developer. When he opens up these new hotels, he also does restaurants with them. And he wants me to like photograph the food. And I'm like, I need to like, that is so different. It is so different. I need, I need different lenses. I... I mean, I can't use like the studio lights I use to shoot people. So I need to like, you know, it's so interesting though. And I just like love how this creative stuff is like kind of related, but not. So you just got to like keep on growing more and more. Yeah, I, I agree. Although there are two hard limits that I have 
uh, in terms, because I also do handheld footage. I, I'm not a handheld photographer. Stills are, mm -hmm. it's not my forte, uh, but I do love doing handheld video. And there are two stipulations that I have when I'm doing both aerial multimedia and handheld video. It's one, I will not be the lead videographer for a wedding. I will be happy to be the B camera, the drone pilot, but I do not want to be the guy that's producing the whole thing. The other thing that I won't do is food. I will not do food because it's so difficult because there's a, there's an expectation. People, everybody knows what a steak looks like, a really well done steak or you know, not well done, but a really good steak. They know what that looks like. And if you're not able to capture that exact image that people have in their head, it ruins the whole point of the actual shoot itself because everybody knows what a medium rare steak looks like. And if you don't hit that, well, you know, you wasted your time. This is so funny. It's true. It's so true. It's like I refuse to do weddings and food. It's just I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. I, I just have no mm -hmm. desire to even jump into it. <laughs> yeah, I've I've second shot a few weddings, and it's difficult because like mm -hmm. you can't go back and reshoot it. It's like a it's a moving event. Oh, I have. And I, I want to share this with you. I don't want to make this about me. I, I have a story about a wedding when I. No, yeah. Was when I was in college, I uh, got hooked up. I don't know if you are familiar with like the NFL at all or the players in the NFL. Uh, no, I really don't watch a lot of sports. So I won't name drop, but there's a, a kicker in the NFL. His family is from my hometown area. And uh, I got hooked up with his dad. Uh, in a golf outing somewhere. And anyway, I had explained to him that I was sort of interested in doing video and uh, multimedia production. And he said, well, you know, my daughter's wedding is coming up. We don't have a, a videographer if you'd want to give you a try there. Keep in mind, this is my first like video project that I've ever done for money. Like I've never done anything up to this point so important. Oh, so, and so the daughter was like the the sister of the NFL player. Yes, yes. Okay. So you know, very humble family, very nice family. You know, they're not too high on their horse or anything like that. But just like for me, being a twenty-one-year-old college kid, a super high-profile job for my first one ever, uh, because they're just mm -hmm. so well liked and so well known. So anyway, yeah, especially if you've never like been an assistant at a wedding at that point. I had zero experience. So I'm just like panicking. So I go out and I buy as many Sony Handycams as I can afford at the time. I think I ended up getting four of them. And I set them up on tripods and I just had everything rolling. And my the whole point was exactly what you just said. In a wedding, there are no opportunities to miss or make up misses. Like you have to get everything mm. the first time or it, it it's pointless. So I did everything I could to ensure that I got the kiss, the, the I now pronounce you man and wife kiss. As soon as it happened, there was a photographer that was there that stepped in front of every single one of my cameras. Now, part of that is my fault for not setting the cameras up in a way that I could have at least guaranteed one good shot out of them. But the other one was like, I cannot believe that that, that they stepped right in front of my shot and ruined it. Like I didn't get the first kiss or anything. So it was, yeah, it, that was a, that was a hard lesson learned. And that's sort of, I think one of the reasons why I don't do weddings is I just don't want that pressure ever again. You know, that, that was terrible when I had to deliver the news that I missed that. <laughs> That is really intense. Well, it was. <laughs> I second shot a wedding about a month and a half ago, and my car actually got hit by one of the wedding guests. Oh, no. Was it bad? And, um, well, 
like it's it's still drivable and like I switched the lights out myself but when I got the estimate it was like three grand because um the frame that holds the front of my car together got like bent so it's like not only like a new bumper but like a new frame that's terrible and yeah it was really rough and the photographer I was working with was like refusing to contact the wedding just ask them if anyone saw anything or if anybody did it um because she thought it would make her look bad and I was like well if you don't want to do that like I'll I'll contact them I'll send an email like I won't make it awkward you know I just you know I was just hoping like you know it was a small intimate wedding you know maybe but so she refused to put me in contact um and then I asked if she would claim it on her business insurance and she refused to do that um so you know I I get and she already had the footage um I gave her the footage right away so I just kind of just kind of cut my ties with her and I don't really want to do a wedding again after that it's that's 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 an even worse story than mine I think (laughs) I uh I think that as a business owner if because I I understand where she's coming from, like she doesn't want to ruffle the feathers of a customer that she has. But at the same time, mm-hmm. if, if you're going to take that stance, you sort of are obligated to write that off on your business insurance. That That's the only other solution at that point. Exactly. And it's like all she had to do was like give me the bride's email and I could have like emailed her a photo of my car, explain what happened. And then the bride could just passed it on and if nothing came of it I would be like well at least you guys did everything you could Mm -hmm. but this yeah this woman did absolutely nothing to help me and um and then I ended up looking her up and it turns out that like she doesn't even have a legal business set up oh wow uh you know like I kind of got some unprofessional vibes from her but I worked with her anyhow and I think that goes back to what I said is like if someone's a cheap client or someone's a bad client you don't want them anyhow Mm. and so like I really learned the hard way that like you don't want those low that low hanging fruit you don't want the cheap clients like you want a client who is you know going to care for you like I have a client out of town down a dirt road and every time I leave you know working with him he he always makes sure I got home all right yeah that's nice you know like that's that's the client you want the Mm. client that says you know go screw yourself. Your car got hit while you were walking for me. That's not my fault. Like, um, yeah, you don't want to, yeah. and people that cut corners too. somebody that doesn't even have an, a, a, an official professional business license or a business entity set up. It's like, uh, you know, I know there are a lot of different ways to earn money, but that's a huge red flag when you're working a wedding that you probably charge $2,000 for, and then all of a sudden, at least 2000 anyway, and then all of a sudden you don't have a business entity. It's like, uh, that's a little sketchy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but lessons learned though. I mean, that's, that's the big thing is I, I always like to say you never fail in life. You just, it, and you only fail if you don't learn. That's the big thing. As long as you're learning, you never fail. Yeah. And, and if anyone's considering like not doing a legal business, like maybe taxes or whatever, like do a legal business because then you can work for companies. Like, yeah, if you don't have a legal business, I guess someone can pay you cash for a wedding. But if you have a legal business, you can be working for giant civil engineering firms or on productions or, you know, I that's, can't shoot my local college campus without proof of insurance. I got to have a legal business for that. So that's, and that's exactly the way. 
That's exactly right. I mean, the, the quality. So my first client ever as a drone pilot was a construction company. It was a big one out of Ohio. I got hooked up through the Pennsylvania Drone Association. They, they hooked me up with the job. And the first thing they asked me for was proof of business identification. Like they wanted my, my tax ID number for my business. And it's like, they, these companies will not hire you unless you have legit documentation. And they're the ones that you make money from. I didn't like per shoot, I was only making like $150 per shoot, which only, I mean, it's pretty, that's pretty darn good. But they hired, they had me do a job that I went back every month, at least once a month to shoot this location. So, you know, that's, that's an easy $150, $300 every month, just because I had my, yeah, my, my ducks in a row. Yeah. That's thousands of dollars. Like that's mm-hmm. great. Exactly. And you don't even have to do any additional marketing. Like you got that. Exactly. That's, and that's why it's so important. I, I totally agree with you on that. Now that in terms of working, so we talked about mm-hmm. a lot of different things. And one thing that you and I talk about a lot uh, when we're just shooting messages back and forth is work for exposure. So this is a topic that you and I are both very passionate about. Uh, I, I think most people have already figured out if they're familiar with me where you might stand on this, but tell me a little bit about what you feel about work for exposure and maybe give me a story about uh, a time that it went well, like a conversation with somebody asking to work for exposure went well, and then maybe one that didn't go so well, or maybe they got upset with you. Yeah, so um, my most recent job was for somebody I met on a unpaid collaborative shoot. And I think she's awesome. She really respects me for what I do. And, you know, this last project is, well, the project we met on was, I guess, the first one. But this most recent one that I got paid for is hopefully the first of many. And I'm excited to work for her. So that went well. Um, The problem with working for free is, Sometimes um, unpaid work leads to more unpaid work. And the, the people who want you to work for free are not people who can pay you. So it's just, yeah, I don't know. A lot of unpaid work just simply leads to more. So you kind of have to like either put your foot down or just be like, hey, I already, I already worked for you for free. Can you pay me this time? And if they can't pay you that time, be like, I'm sorry, I, I need to do something. Um, and for me, you know, when I was like supporting myself on my business, if someone wanted me to work for free that I had already done free work for in the past, I just said like, look, I gotta eat, like I'm unemployed. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, if you're not paying me, that means that I'm, I'm un- unemployed, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it was really tough because like when I was, you know, trying to make it with my own business, and didn't have a day job, that's when a lot of people were like, oh, you're not busy, you're free all the time. And that's when people ask me for free work the most. And that was really hard. But now that I have a job, I don't really feel bad saying no, because it's like, no, I have a job. Like I got money, I don't need that. <laughs> so Yeah, and that, that's the thing is I sort of like what you said about if they, you've already worked for free for one, for one time for them, then mm-hmm. you won't do it again. Um, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes I think people are nervous when they go to somebody in the creative sector, because they're not sure if what you're envisioning will match what they're envisioning. So they don't want to put the money on the table and risk not 
getting what they want out of it. So I think that some people do legitimately just like want a test trial of what you're capable of and what you do. Uh, so I try to be understanding in a lot of scenarios, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, if you use me once for free and I, I do that work for you for free, and then you come back expecting more free work, it's like, well, no, now you understand what I'm capable of. So now you pay the going rate, you know, that, that I, I like the way that you yeah. phrase that. I think if it's a creative thing, it's like, oh, hey, me and my friends are just making a cool video. We want drone, will you help us? Okay, that's a creative thing. But if it's like, hey, this local musician who makes a ton of money is making a video, will you do it for free? It's like, what? No, exactly. <laughs> it's like, that might be exposure, but I don't know. I've I've been featured by a woman who drone and I've I've done some work for some some decently well-known DJs. And you know, when when you get exposure and they plug your name, you don't really gain a lot of followers. You don't. I'm glad that you said that because I read something somewhere. I get on Reddit a lot and that's where I do a lot of my research on different topics within the industry as well as how to do things. And I, I posed the question uh, on Reddit, work for exposure, you know, is this something that you do regularly? How do you handle this? And somebody, because an online magazine had approached me about using one of my photos of Lancaster City, because Lancaster City made this list of top 50 cities to retire to in the United States. And uh, they wanted to use my photo in their article, which was flattering. Don't get me wrong. I was very flattered by that. But they yeah. wanted to use it for free. And they said that they would give me credit on their webpage. So I posed this question on Reddit. And somebody said something to me that we will always stick with me when it comes to work for exposure. And it's this, how many times have you ever gone to a blog article or a magazine article? You look at a picture and you might go, oh, hey, that's a really good picture. That's, that's pretty, it's beautiful. But how many times have you clicked on the link to go see who took that picture? I'm willing to bet almost zero. And that's what mm -hmm. sticks with me with work for exposure is most of the time when somebody gives you credit on a picture, you're not going to get anything out of that because most people don't care enough to click on the credit and see who actually took the photo and support that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, actually recently I had a very, a very nice hotel in my city. I it's an all white building. I took a picture of it and then I like kind of played in Photoshop with some rainbows on it. And I, I did it for like a little pride thing. Like it had a bunch of windows. So I put a different color of each, a different color of the rainbow in each window. They loved it. They wanted it for the marketing, for the website and for publication. And they asked me if they could use it. And I'm like, this is a corporation with like millions of dollars. And so I just responded. I said, yes, please email me and let's work out a licensing agreement. Mm. Especially like if they want to print it and reuse it. Yeah, that's and that's the I really liked that. And in fact, if you don't mind, I'm going to steal that from you working the whole comment about yes, DM me or email me and let's work out a licensing agreement. Because I think that that does two things. First of all, people that are actually do want to pay you for your work they're going to just go ahead and do that no matter what. But it's also going to weed out the people that aren't serious about paying you because as soon as they see that licensing agreement, that's going to scare them right away and they're not going to be interested anymore. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they never reached out to me just for a follow-up. Um, and that's okay. I don't yeah. need that. Like, because if, if they wanted to hire someone 
to do an ad campaign for them, that's several thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. If they wanted to license a photo from me for a couple hundred bucks, a photo that like is already made and ready to go the instant they buy it, like that's, they could have done that and, and they didn't, so that's okay. Yeah, and I think about it was sort of a poor decision on their part business-wise because if you consider hiring somebody to take the photo, that same photo that they want, and then edit it the way that you edited it, I mean, they probably, and when you look at the salary and then the benefits they probably pay that person and all of the other perks that person gets as a, a, a contracted employee of that company, they probably pay triple or maybe even quadruple for that photo, you know, when you break it down compared to what they would have paid you for a one-time licensing agreement. It, that was probably pretty dumb on their part not to take you up on that. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know either. But yeah, like they could have had my creative mind shooting all of the hotels, but <laughs> you know, some people just aren't smart enough to see a creative when they, you know, when they see one, or you know, know a creative when they see one anyway. So yeah, and that's why we want those clients that are like, oh, I'm not even giving you a shot list. I know you'll do a good job. Go out there and do it. Like that's that's a huge compliment that your client said that to you. Yeah, I actually charge less for people that just trust me to go out and do what I need to do. Uh, if, you, if you're one of my clients and you want to direct me in real time, stand over my shoulder and tell me what you want, you actually pay a little bit more because at that point then, you know, I'm having to meet these expectations exactly how you're setting them for me. But if you're able to just say, we know that you have an eye for what's good, you understand what looks good and what shots we need to convey this message, we trust you to just go out and do it. I actually give you a discount in my rate because that just makes that relationship that much stronger. You know, they're doing me a favor, so I'm going to do them a favor. That is so funny. I never considered doing that, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that. It, it, I'm telling you, people are so much more trusting, especially when you say, well, it's less money when you just let, cut me loose and let me do what I do. <laughs> it's called the pain in the butt fee. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to have to say it, but you did. <laughs> um, so listen, we are running a little short on time. We have just a few minutes left. There's one more topic I want to talk with you about that we discussed, and it's mapping and 3D rendering. We had talked a little bit about your background as a photographer and now as a video person with your drone, but I know that there's a facet of your career, especially in the architecture industry, that touches into this mapping and 3D rendering uh, side of the drone industry. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, are you dabbling in that? What are you doing in that sector? Oh, yeah. So I was dabbling in it and I had a client who wanted me to do it. So we got a free trial. We did it. <laughs> that has led to more and more work. I haven't even put it on my website yet. Um, that's how like crazy it's been. Um, but yeah, I, I love it and I'm learning more about it. I've tried out, I've tried out three different mapping softwares now and it's really cool because you just set the route, the drone flies it and then it can stitch the photos together. And if you're, and it takes the photos at an angle so sometimes the buildings and the plants can get a little funny. So what you can do is after the flight, you can go and you can take additional photos from different angles and then um, the software can stitch that all together and you can get maps, you can get point clouds, you can get topography models. And it's, it's really great in the architectural industry. 
Well, if you don't mind my asking, I know there's a lot of programs out there for mapping and rendering. What what program do you use when it, you stitch everything together? Um, so my favorite program is Drone Deploy. Okay. That's the one that I think is the best. And you can also give your clients like 30 day trials. So I can be like, hey, here's your files, but you can get the trial of the software just to see like the full capability of what it can do and, and play around with it. And a lot of my clients do enjoy having that trial just to, to poke into it so let me ask you this and if you can't divulge a lot i understand but um when when you say uh, the 30-day trial for your clients so you actually just take the photos for the client and then like you guide that you say hey drone deploy is the way you want to go stick you know run these through and it'll stitch it together way, the way you need it or do you actually create the the model for them and then you oh, just no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no i create the model okay um, and then what drone deploy does is it gives them the 2d and the 3d. And so after the model is created, I can share it with them through a free trial link. Oh, okay. Yes. Got the model is there. I can download any format and I can send them the files in those formats, but also like just giving them access to the model to play with and poke around the website. I was just about yeah. to say that Especially with the point clouds, like. I really don't even know point clouds, but my clients deal with point clouds. So I'm like, there you go. I was you just about point? to say that we, we need to call drone deploy right now and let them know that they have a salesperson that they owe some money to. If, if you were getting the clients to buy subscriptions to drone deploy, that would have been hilarious. Uh, but yeah, I, was, I don't think any of my clients have bought in a subscription, but I think they've all enjoyed like learning the full capabilities and hiring me back. Um, but drone deploy is really great when I was just like doing a free trial to check it out they actually had people calling me to talk to me and answer my questions so oh, that's, they were cool. really that's that's really awesome cool. i've worked with them i, I tried a, th a 30 day free trial of course i have uh, a business entity so i was working with them as a, as a b2b client and they had somebody that was a dedicated not even account, i didn't even have an account but um they were basically my dedicated account rep and i heard from them you know every other day just asking me hey do you have any questions is there anything i can help you with i i didn't end up sticking with it just because i didn't have enough mapping and rendering projects coming through at the time uh mm -hmm. but it, it is really powerful software i can imagine if you have a lot of that kind of business coming through the door that the investment is well worth it yeah, and you can actually subscribe on a month by month basis. So, um, you know, if I if I get a client that wants it, I just subscribe mm -hmm. for that month. So I had a pretty good streak. I, I kept my subscription for like four months straight. Um, and and then I took a month or two off and, and now I'm back on the subscription again. That's very cool. So it's, it's really great. I love how it works for me. And one time they accidentally like, renewed it and I just emailed them and they refunded me. See, that's cool that they're so, you know, easy to work with that way. So that that's neat. And that's good to know too, because I know a lot of people are interested in that sector of the industry, uh, especially as it continues to evolve and the money starts to become a little bit more prevalent in that side of things too. Yeah, it's really cool. I love it.
Well, that's, that's awesome. But Hey, we are out of time. Uh, unfortunately, cause I, I would love to keep this going, but we gotta, we gotta wrap things up for this particular episode with you. Um, I'd love to have you back on again in the future. Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, but real quick, before we do wrap up, just, can you tell people where they can find you Instagram, Facebook, your website, uh, you know, how to best get a hold of you if they're interested in your services, just give everybody an idea of where they can find your work and how they can contact you. Oh, yeah, no problem. So it is above underscore AZ. That's the Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And then my website is above AZ.world instead of dot com. Okay. And my website should be um, linked on all my other medias. So you can, uh, you can go check those out. I think I'm, I'm most active on Instagram, but I'm trying to put more more YouTube stuff out there. Excellent. Well, that's great. Yeah, definitely check Amanda out. I I mean this, and uh, this is not me trying to suck up to Amanda because she is one of my my oldest friends in the drone world. Uh, she does incredible work. So whether you're somebody that's looking for a drone pilot, especially in the West Coast area of the United States, or you're just you know looking for inspiration, maybe you're an entry level pilot, or you just enjoy beautiful imagery, definitely check her out on Instagram above underscore az. Check her out on Facebook, YouTube, and definitely go to our website. I highly, highly recommend it. She is one of the best in the business, hands down. Amanda, thank you so much for being on today. And uh, I look forward to having you on again. You'll definitely be on again. Uh, oh, I think you're cutting out again. There's LinkedIn, but there's no Facebook. Oh. Oh, that, that, that's what it was. Yeah. It's, I don't know what's happening with your connection. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, but uh, I'm sorry. Yes, she's right. It is not uh, Facebook. You it know is what? What? Um, I, I'm, I'm in the Southwest US and we're having online soon season. So I better know. Oh. Gotcha. All right. So just to, just to clarify, just to make sure all of her ducks in a row, she is absolutely correct. She knew what she was saying. I did not know. It is not Facebook. It is LinkedIn. Check her out on LinkedIn, not Facebook. Uh, definitely 100%. Like I said, I recommend it for sure. Check her out above underscore AZ. Again, Amanda, thank you so much. And until next time, I'm Chris. That's Amanda. And we are out of here.